Everybody, it's great to be with you. Uh, it's a little bit cooler than last week. Uh, it was a little humid this morning, but it's a little sunny, so I'm glad most of you have shade. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Sawyer Trapp. I'm our student ministry pastor here at Stapleton Church, and I'm so glad that you're joining us either outdoors right here in person or online, either on our YouTube or our Facebook page. I'm so glad that you decided to join us this morning. Today we'll be continuing our series, No Ordinary People, looking at the ways that God has made us extraordinary, made in his image, made on mission, and made to do extraordinary things. But before we jump into the message, I have a question for you. How many of you are familiar with what this is? I'll make sure to show everybody in the audience here on, and then hopefully you can see it online. If you don't know, it's Play-Doh, and my daughter isn't quite to Play-Doh yet. I think right now she just thinks it's food. But Play-Doh, for me at least, conjures up a lot of nostalgia. Because when I would go specifically to my, uh, our, our, my parents' friend's house, they always had Play-Doh, and they had tons of Play-Doh. And we would play with it, we would build statues, we would inevitably make spaghetti, right? Because that's what you do with Play-Doh. And when I think of Play-Doh, I think of this commercial. So if you want to pull up that video and you can watch it, have a brief reminder of what Play-Doh is. Hopefully. <laughs> Play-Doh Fun Factory. I made spaghetti. And now you can get a Play-Doh Fun Flyer free when you buy Fun Factory and specially marked packages. It's lots of fun and little enough to take with you wherever you go while supplies last. The Play-Doh Fun Factory toy comes with everything you see here from Kenner. Yes, the Play-Doh Fun Factory was the one to have because it had all of the various molds like stars, spaghetti, squares, you could make little cubes, whatever it was, you could form this Play-Doh, this blob of goo into various things. And you might be saying, Sawyer, what in the world does that have to do with people being extraordinary? What does that have to do with God in putting his image on us, making us in his image? And I actually think it has a lot to do because Play-Doh is a powerful metaphor for our lives. A powerful metaphor for our lives because despite making us remember the past, it also helps us evaluate where we are right now. Because whether we know it or not, whether we want it or not, whether we believe it or not, we all are going to be molded and shaped by something. We all are going to be molded and shaped by something. All of us are put into the fun factory of life, and depending upon which mold is at the end, what environments that we're in, our friendships, our relationships, who we decide to put ourselves around, the clubs that we're a part of, the political parties that we affiliate ourselves with, are all the molds at the end. And they shape us. They mold us. They form our lives. We often think that our identity is within our control. That if we want to be this way, or if we want to be that way, we just decide and then we are. And that sometimes is the case, but more often than not, the situations that we're in, the environments, the friendships, the relationships that we have, do a lot more to shape our identity than we do. Whatever your tendencies, desires, beliefs, we all are going to be molded and shaped by something. And so the question that's going to frame our message this morning is this. 
is if we're all going to be molded and shaped by something, who or what are you being molded by? Who or what are you being molded by? As we've gone throughout this series, and I've really loved this series, just really looking at some core tenets about who we are, that we're made in the image of God, that we're called to do extraordinary things. And today we're going to be jumping in to the book of Daniel. Now, if you have any familiarity with the book of Daniel, it's probably from a Sunday school class, focusing in on the miracle of the lion's den with the lion's mouth being closed and Daniel surviving or the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being saved from the fire and having another in their presence, an angel, perhaps even God, in their presence, saving them. But today, as important and awesome as those stories are, that's not as what we're going to be focusing in on. We're going to be focusing in on the first chapter of the book of Daniel, the chapter that sets the scene, that leads to these very important miracles and events. Because I think the life of Daniel is an awesome example of what it looks like to be intentional about what is molding and shaping you. To not just let the world come by and shape you into what it wants, but to let the God of the universe, the creator of all that we see, including the very image that is in us and upon us, shape our lives. I think that's something that we should want and desire. So instead of being molded by the world, Daniel allowed God to mold him. And so we're jumping in. This is right at the beginning. Daniel verse 1. It starts off like this. It says, In the third year of reign of Ohiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. So what is going on here? Because maybe you're not as much of a history buff like me and you're already like, man, Sawyer, this is a boring section of the Bible. And that's okay to admit. I want you to be honest with where you're at. Honest with where you're at. But I actually think there's some powerful things going on even in these first verses. Because look at what is going on here. If you want to go to the next slide, there's a timeline, which I'm going to talk through if you can't see it on the screens, but hopefully we can have it up online for people to look at. But what has happened prior to this event is in about 1050 BC, the monarchy of Israel was established. Saul was put as the first king over Israel, and they were like the people that were around them. And they were successful. God was on their side. And so by 50 years later, in about 1000 BC, under King David, They had expanded their reach. There was a united kingdom, north and south, with Jerusalem as its capital. This was the golden age of Israel. This was the pinnacle of their civilization. And even more than that, about 40 years after that, the temple, the promised temple, the dwelling place of God, was finally completed. God was living with his people in the temple Society was functioning. Civilization was at its peak. And over the next roughly 200 years, that peak would slowly and definitively decline. The people would turn away from God, get tempted by the other gods of the surrounding peoples and start living according to them. And so about 200 years later, the northern kingdom 
was taken captive, was conquered by the Assyrians. This would have been a crushing blow to the people who knew from their grandparents and their great-grandparents. They had heard the stories of the pinnacle of Israel and were now stuck in captivity. And even though it took about another 200 years for the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, to fall, that's where this story picks up. So even in these first couple of verses, think about the headspace of where Daniel must be in. The headspace of what he knows has happened in the past. The history that he's heard about of a civilization of glory. He's heard about the northern kingdom being taken captive. And now, he is going to be transported away from his home, away from his loved ones, away from his family and culture and everything that he knows about life, and transported to a foreign land to never return again. To never return again. Think about what that must look like. What that must feel like. And it describes why Daniel and his friends were taken. We continue in verse 4. It says that they were young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them language and the literature of the Babylonians, and the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Daniel was not an ordinary guy. He was likely part of the nobility, the royal family. He had studied and had educated, although it was likely that Daniel and his friends were only in their late teens or perhaps early 20s when they were transported. They expected to grow up, maybe to start families in Israel, in the familiarity that they knew. But right when everything was about to start for them, they were taken away. Think about all the things that that verse just says that they lost. They've lost their location. They're now in Babylon when they wanted to be in Jerusalem. They've lost their language. They're no longer to speak Hebrew and will learn the Babylonian language. They've lost their culture, their literature. They're not going to read the Torah anymore. They're going to be engrossed in Babylonian culture. It even says that they were to be given royal food and wine. When you're homesick, when you're maybe in a foreign country for an extended period of time, what is one thing that you miss right away? Yes, the food of a different culture is delicious. But if you're there long enough, what do you want? You want a cheeseburger, right? You long for the food of your culture. What your mama or your grandma used to make. That was stripped from them. And even more than that, it says in verse 7 that their names were changed. Their very identity... The way that they define themselves, the way that their parents have named them, was changed. They've lost every single inkling of their culture, their society, and the life that they've expected to live. And so if we're going to look at Daniel as this example of how to live according to what God is molding us to, to live this extraordinary life that God is calling us to, I think we have to ask exactly the same question that Daniel was asking. Who am I? Who am I? Because extraordinary living starts with an identity check. 
Extraordinary living starts with an identity checked. To evaluate where you are, the situations that you're in, who you're surrounding yourselves with. In Daniel's case, not a situation that he ever would have expected himself to be in. And you need to stop and say, who am I? And the same is true for us. It can be really easy to go through life and just go through the motions. To wake up in the morning, get the kids ready for school, go to your job, come back home, start dinner, and do it over and over and over again. But I actually think one of the things that this pandemic has done is that it forced us to stop. It's forced us to stop and really evaluate whether the things that we've been doing, the routines that we've been in, the environments that we've been in, the people that we surround ourselves with are where we want to be. It's forced us to check our identity. And that can be a scary and frightening position to be in. For many of us, this pandemic is something that we never would have imagined. Even in our wildest dreams, the situation where we would be outside having church wearing masks, where we'd be limited, where we have to work from home, where school and home and the workplace would all be one location. Or maybe for you, you've lost your job. You don't know what the next week holds, let alone what the future holds. And you're saying, who am I? But when we're in a situation where we have to check our identity, it's also an opportunity because it allows us to not just fall into the old routines and patterns, but to change. And maybe you feel right now that you're being left out, that the identity that you were living in before isn't what you want to live in in the future. And the life of Daniel shows us that no matter the circumstances that we're in, God is not finished with us yet. And God was not finished with you, is not finished with me, and he's certainly not finished with Daniel. And so we continue the story. Picking it up in verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. And now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. So Daniel had just been offered the best food that he would have ever experienced. This is like a Michelin star restaurant with a sommelier that comes over to the table, having the best wine pairings and the most immaculate, amazing food that he would have ever experienced. So why is Daniel saying, no, I'm good. I don't want to miss out. I'm fine on that opportunity. In fact, what he asked for later are vegetables, vegetables. So what is Daniel doing? Why is it so important that he doesn't, as he says, defile himself with this food? So I think it's for two reasons. Uh, the first is this, simply that it wasn't kosher. Daniel was a practicing Jew, trying to follow the rules and guidelines, the specific way of living that God had called his people to, to make them special, to make them unique, to make him fo- focus on what God had for them, to make them stick out in society. That their very diet was to shape their identity in Christ, their identity in God. And so right off the bat, Daniel says, you know what? I'm going to hold to that. I'm going to hold to my dependency on God. My dependency on what God has called us to as his people to continue to stick out, to continue to be different. 
But I think there's also another thing going on here. It's more than this, just that it's not kosher. But I think it's also that it was opulent. That it was food better than Daniel could have ever imagined. Because I think there's a tendency, when we experience good things, when we live a good life, we get wrapped up in that. We get wrapped up in that. And Daniel saw that he was headed down a road where he could easily lose his focus on God. Easily lose the dependency that he had developed. The different life that he was called to live. And so I think he chooses vegetables, not because he was maybe vegan before it was cool, but because it's the exact opposite of the opulent royal food and wine that he was offered. He lives a life different than what he's offered. He chooses not to be wrapped up in the culture that he's surrounded with, but to live differently. And that brings us to our next point, that extraordinary living starts with small choices. That extraordinary living starts with small choices. I don't know if you're anything like me, but it can feel really daunting to hear that God has an extraordinary life planned for you. Yes, that's exciting. Yes, it gives you purpose and meaning. But on the flip side, it also is like, can I live up to that? Am I extraordinary enough to live the life that God is calling me to live? God, you have all these big things planned. I don't know if I can get there. But I think the life of Daniel shows us that extraordinary living is in the small choices. Daniel probably could have just as easily eaten that royal food and wine and still maintained his focus on God. But he saw that it was a slippery slope. And he decided right there, made that small choice to eat differently, to change his diet, to maintain his identity in God. That that small choice would lead him down a path to do extraordinary things. To have the focus enough, the dependency on God enough to survive the lion's den, to trust that God would get him through. This small choice builds to that. And so for you right now, and for me right now, we all have small choices in our everyday life that can lead us to an extraordinary life that God is calling to, calling us to. Perhaps it's not getting that extra cup of coffee on the way into work in the morning and making sure that you have a dollar or two, a Bible, a bottle of water to give to that person on the street. Perhaps it's having an extra dose of patience with your children as they wrestle with this new reality of what school looks like. And children, teenagers, maybe it's having that same level of patience with your parents. Making that small choice to have your home be a place of peace and encouragement during what is a difficult time. Perhaps for you it's being intentional, even with the changes and difficulty of our world, to still maintain that quiet time with God. To really plug in during this time when your routine is out the window. To be intentional that when routine comes back that you won't lose that. Perhaps it's being intentional about coming to church. Worshiping online weekly when it's easy to just flip on the TV. Oh, the service starts. Well, I can watch it later. Maybe it's suffering through this hot, muggy weather and coming and joining us in person. Whatever that small choice is, and there's thousands more that you and I face on a daily basis. 
if we approach that in the mindset of saying, how is this situation, how is this choice molding me? How could God use this choice to shape my life? I would challenge you that we could all do to think a little differently, to make a small choice that builds to something extraordinary. Martin Luther King Jr. said that faith is taking that first step even when we don't see the whole staircase. That taking that first step, even when we don't see the extraordinary life that God is calling us to. Making that small choice when we know it's going to have implications for our life. Choosing God to mold us instead of the world. Who or what are we being molded by? And so Daniel makes this choice. And we see that in verse 15... And 17, that it goes very well for him. That this small choice led to some extraordinary things. It says in verse 15 that at the end of the 10 days, these men, Daniel and his friends, looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. These vegetables had beaten the best that Babylon had to offer. And because of this, to these four young men, Verse 17, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. The implication of this small choice has extraordinary results. Extraordinary results. But it also comes with some things that we would have never expected. So don't hear me wrong. That just because we made that small choice... When that extraordinary life doesn't come, when the difficulty still comes, when the job is still lost, when the kids are still stuck at home, when we struggle to connect with others, when we just want that hug, or we just want to go over to a friend's house for dinner, when life is still difficult, those small choices matter. Extraordinary living, the life that God is calling us to, isn't a life without problems and difficulties. But it is a life where we know that God is always with us. That God is always with us. And this is true for Daniel. If we look at the end of this chapter, verse 21, it seems like an insignificant verse. Like just a, a note that you would, you would give just to kind of get the story moving along. Get this account of the life of Daniel moving along. But it is so important. Verse 21 says, And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. What this means is that Daniel never returned back to Israel. That Daniel never returned back to Jerusalem. Likely never saw his extended family again. Never got to eat his mom's cooking. Likely didn't speak Hebrew a lot the rest of his life. His situation never changed. The life that he expected isn't the life that he lived. He experienced difficulty and struggles and pain and hurt and I'm sure a lot of loneliness and depression. But although his life didn't change... Daniel changed his life. Although his life didn't change, the circumstances that he was in, the environments, the people that he surrounded himself with didn't change, 
He changed those environments. We all know the stories of what Daniel did, that he interpreted dreams, that he rose in the ranks of the Babylonian government to become the second-hand man of the king. And that position that put him in, those small choices that built him up, led him, as the Persians took over, to actually have the whole kingdom of Persia under the God of the Bible. That after Daniel comes out of the lion's den, after the king sees this amazing miracle of what God has done, he makes a decree that all people should follow the God of Daniel, the God of the Bible, the God of the Hebrews. This God of a foreign people that Daniel was from, his circumstances never changed. But he changed his circumstances. Daniel knew that if he wasn't intentional, if he wasn't careful, if he didn't make those small choices, he was going to be molded by Babylon. But instead, he allowed God to mold him and shape him so that he could mold others. That he could mold the entire culture that he was in. Extraordinary living. The life that God is calling us to points to the extraordinary God. Extraordinary living points to the extraordinary God. Daniel didn't allow himself to be molded by the world that he was in, but he molded the world. The extraordinary life, the faithfulness, the trust that he put in God, even though his circumstances were challenging and difficult, pointed that culture, that people, the rulers of the society, to the extraordinary God that he knew was going to be faithful despite his circumstances. And the beautiful thing is that the same can be true for us. If we're followers of God, if we call ourselves Christians, we can experience that extraordinary life that God is calling us to. A life that doesn't allow us to be molded by the environments that we're in, but to actually allow God to shape us and mold us so that we can mold others. Our extraordinary life could point others to the extraordinary God. And what an awesome opportunity we have. But maybe you're sitting there outside or online on your couch or wherever you're watching and you're saying, I don't know if that extraordinary life is for me. Could God really use me? I have a lot of difficulties. Maybe the Play-Doh of my life has some dry parts in it, right? Some crusties. I don't know if God could really use me, and especially not use me to mold other people. I'm not significant enough. I'm not prepared enough. I'm not courageous enough. But I think God calls us each uniquely to the situations that we're in. That an extraordinary life for me doesn't look like an extraordinary life for you or for you watching online that God is doing something uniquely extraordinary through each of us. Many of us are familiar with the name Mr. Rogers. Fred Rogers, although despite being best known for his program on on PBS, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, his original plan for life was to actually be a Presbyterian pastor. And through seminary, actually, ended up getting involved with TV production on the side just to make the bills. 
And through that, God actually called him to a different ministry than he was expecting. Not one in a church, but to one on a TV. And Mr. Rogers used that opportunity to shape and to mold the many thousands and millions of children that tuned in. Starting in 1966 in Canada and then continuing in the U.S. in 1968 and running all the way through 2001, Mr. Rogers used every opportunity that he had to show kids and the adults who were watching that they were valuable, that they were worthy of love, that they had worth, that their emotions mattered, that their feelings were important, that it mattered how they treated other people. And even dealing with some more difficult things, walking children through the difficulty of divorce and abuse. And in 1969, at the height of segregation, in a small but significant act, sharing a pool, a wading pool, dipping their feet in together with a black African-American actor called Francois Clemens, who played an an officer on the show, the neighborhood police officer, inviting him into the pool, sharing that pool together, and even more than that, making the extra gesture to share the same towel. In this act, in this small but significant act, Mr. Rogers began to shape the minds of the children that were watching, that every single person has worth and value. That no matter of their ethnicity, their race, their position, their power, that God sees them and that God loves them. And we have to as well. He says that every single person longs to be loved. And that the greatest thing that we can do is to let people know that they are loved and that they are capable of loving. Mr. Rogers used his position that he had, the environments that he was in, the relationships that he had to live the extraordinary life that God was calling him to. Not a life that he expected, not one he had visioned. But if you ever watched that show, and I did definitely growing up, it shaped you, it shaped you, it molded you. That he didn't let that opportunity just go by the wayside, but he was intentional about allowing the love of God the value that each person that God had placed on them worked through him in the things that he said and with a quiet, kind spirit, he taught that to children. Mr. Rogers is a beautiful example of what an extraordinary life looks like. And each one of us can have that extraordinary life right now. So as Bobby comes forward, maybe you're in three camps this morning. Maybe you're living that extraordinary life right now and you're saying, God, I want to be used more by you. I see people hurting and in pain. The environments that are in, I just see a lot of hurt. And if that's you this morning, I pray that God would use you powerfully to live that extraordinary life, to continue to live that extraordinary life. Maybe you're in that second group and you're saying, yes, I follow God, but I don't feel like I'm living extraordinary yet. I don't feel like my life is pointing to the extraordinary God that I worship. But the life of Daniel shows us 
that it doesn't have to be as daunting as it maybe appears on the surface. Start making those small choices. Start being intentional and looking and evaluating your identity. And start choosing to be molded by God so that you can mold others. And finally, perhaps you're in a last group and you're saying, I don't even follow God yet. But this extraordinary life that you're talking about, Sawyer, it sounds good. And I want that. And if that's you this morning, I encourage you to look at another person. The person of Jesus. Because as good an example of Dan, a good example of extraordinary life Daniel is, Jesus is better. That Jesus is God coming down to earth and living as a lowly human like us but living an extraordinary life. Have you ever wondered why God just didn't send Jesus to die, but he sent, spent that about 33 years on earth before that happened? That was intentional. Jesus was showing us how to live, loving others, caring for the oppressed, speaking truth in love, fighting against the religiosity that calls us to a set of rules instead of a powerful relationship with the God of the universe. And in the most concrete example of what extraordinary living looks like, giving up his position and his power and his glory and humbling himself to death, even death on a cross, a death that you and I deserve because our life often is far from extraordinary. It's filled with with sin and difficulty and pain and hurt and a lot of things that are far from God. And so Jesus took our place on that cross as an extraordinary act of love and of grace and of mercy. And in that one act, God called all who believe saved. And all we have to do is accept that free gift of salvation, that free call to the extraordinary life that God is calling us to. We all are going to be molded by something. I pray that each one of us is molded by God. And we allow ourselves to be shaped and formed so that we can mold others. At this time, we'll be having a time of prayer. And depending upon where you're at this morning, I just want you to pray that God would remove the molds of the world that are shaping each one of us. Our desires for success. Our long desires just to feel wanted perhaps a desire to be better than everyone else a desire of the world toss it aside lay it at the feet of God and pray that God would mold you and shape you so that you can mold others we are all going to be molded by something let's pray Father, I don't know where these people are at this morning, but you do. You know their hearts, you know the environments that they're in, the ways that we're all being molded right now, God. And so I pray that if there are unhealthy molds in our lives, ways that are being shaped that draw us away from you instead of draw us closer, God, that you would remove those. 
that you allow our lives to be shaped by you and you alone. That we would allow our lives to be molds, to be examples, to be mirrors that point back to you, God. I pray that each one of us would be shaped powerfully in your name so that we can shape others. And God, if there is somebody right now who's saying, I want that extraordinary life, that they would repeat these words with me, God. God, I know that I've messed up. I know that my life is far from extraordinary. But I also know that you sent Jesus down to live like me, to live as a human, to live that perfect life, that extraordinary life, and to die in my place, God. And three days later, being raised again, powerfully. God, I accept that gift of salvation that you offer, that relationship, that renewed relationship that you offer. God, I'm ready to start living extraordinarily. And God, for each one of us as we go out of this place, that it wouldn't just stay in this backyard or in our homes or on our phone screens, but it would actually impact our lives. That our extraordinary living would point to you. God, we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're so glad that you joined us either in here, in person or online. We can't wait to see you next week. Go out and live extraordinarily. Have a good week. God bless.